Chapter 26 The Mightiest Arrow in the Divine Quiver Our blessed Lord worked miracles never for himself, but as credentials for his person. They were manifest signs that he had a special mission for the realization of God's work among men. Even in the Old Testament there were miracles demanded as a sign to confirm a prophet's word. It was a mark of unbelief in Achaz that he would not ask God for a sign in confirmation of the prophet's word. But the prophet nevertheless gave him a sign of the Messiah, namely the virgin birth. The miracles of our blessed Lord moved within a sphere of redemption. They were not merely manifestations of power, but an index of man's deliverance from something, namely sin. Hence in the moral order there were miracles of redemption from the tyranny of demons. In the physical order, redemption from other manifestations of sin, such as fever, palsy, leprosy, blindness, and death. Redemption of nature in the quelling of the sea and making the winds his servants. Not including summaries of miracles, which are numerous, there are twenty miracles mentioned in Matthew, twenty in Luke, eighteen in Mark, and seven in John. No one can say how many miracles the Savior worked, for many of them are referred to collectively, such as, He cured the sick, the blind, and the lame. The last words of the Gospel of John are, There is much else besides that Jesus did. If all of it were put in writing, I do not think the world itself could contain the books which would have to be written. John 21.25 He worked miracles to provoke faith in his claim as the Messiah and the Son of God. The actions which my Father has enabled me to achieve, those very actions which I perform, bear me witness that it is the Father who has sent me. John 5.36 The refusal of men to accept the indisputable evidence of the senses made their unbelief inexcusable. If I had not come and given them my message, they would not have been in fault. As it is, their fault can find no excuse. To hate me is to hate my Father too. John 15.22 Miracles are no cure for unbelief. Some would not believe though one were to rise daily from the dead. No sign could be wrought which would bring complete conviction, for the will can refuse assent to what the intellect knows to be true. The Pharisees admitted, This man is performing many miracles. John 11.48 But though the miracles were admitted, the person who worked them was denied. Toward the very close of his public life, the survey is completed. Such great miracles he did in their presence, and still they did not believe in him. John 12.37 the incredulity was foreseen centuries before by Isaiah. The prophecy is introduced into the Gospel story at this point as another proof that Jesus was the Christ. The text of Isaiah is mentioned six times throughout the New Testament and is always in connection with lack of faith. It was not that the people did not believe in order that the prophecy might be fulfilled, but rather their unbelief was the fulfillment of the prophecy. The quotation which John took from Isaiah was, Lord, is there anyone who has believed our message to whom the power of God has been made known? John 12:38. This is the first verse in chapter 53 of Isaiah, which contains the prophecies concerning our Lord's sufferings. God's foreknowledge of what will happen does not in any way deprive sinners of their responsibility. Yet when the guilt appears and the unbelief is manifested, the causes can be analyzed. Those who refuse to see lose the power to see. God was ratifying an attitude to which men had come by their own choice. Foretelling judgment on belief, he warned, This man who makes me of no account and does not accept my words has a judge appointed to try him. It is the message I have uttered, that will be his judge at the last day. And this, because it is not of my own impulse that I have spoken, it was my Father who sent me. John 12.48 There will be nothing arbitrary in the judgment which he will administer to men on the last day. The glorious words of mercy would be invested with judicial authority. This foretelling of how all men would be judged by their attitude toward him was because he was sent by God. His humanity began to be in time, and was of a lower order and rank than his divinity, which he shared with the Father. Hence the rejection of him in his human nature was the rejection of the Father who sent him. But for the present he came not to judge, but to save the world. 
But though they did not believe in him, as Isaiah foretold, he had one arrow left in his quiver, which would convince men that he was their savior. If only I am lifted up from the earth, I will attract all men to myself. John 12:32. The cross would have such attractiveness that it would draw all men, not merely those to whom he was speaking, for his kingdom was to be the world itself. His death would accomplish what his life could not, for there was more in it than human heroism or devotion. What would draw would not be the surrender to death, but the laying bare of the heart of God's love. The love of God was made visible in sacrifice. On Calvary he would prove himself man by dying as every other man dies, but he would prove himself divine by dying as no other man died. Twenty years later St. Paul would repeat, We preach Christ and Him crucified. The divine alone can capture man, and the sublimest manifestation of divine love is to die for our guilt that we might live. God so loved the world. The drawing to Himself would be through the allurements of love. The cross which was the focal point of His coming now became a judgment of the evil of the world. Sentence is now being passed on this world. Now is the time when the prince of this world is to be cast out. John 12.31 A judge passes judgment on the criminal. His cross passes judgment on the world. Seeing in his mind far beyond the narrow confines of a land extending from Dan to Bersabee, he declared again that all men will be judged by their attitude to the cross, not only because their sins hung him there, but because of the love which made him embrace it. The final judgment would be merely a ratification of the judgment each man passes on Good Friday. The cross ended the tolerance extended to the prince of the world, or Satan, who exercised dominion over man. The cross would finally convince men of sin, as law or ethics could never do. It would show what sin really is, the crucifixion of divine goodness in the flesh. But it would show them also who forgives sin, namely, the one they lifted up, even to heaven, to make intercession for men. The throne erected for our Lord by men would show the hostility and the reign of evil in their hearts, but it would also show that he was not of the earth. His regnancy would be from a higher sphere of heaven, where he would draw his subjects to him and become the Lord of all. What our Lord said that day, that evil would be finally overcome in him through the cross, St. Paul reiterated, He condoned all your sins, canceled the deed which excluded us, the decree made to our prejudice, swept it out of the way by nailing it to the cross, and the dominions and powers he robbed of their prey, put them to an open shame, led them away in triumph through him. Colossians 2, 14. Though men could not believe in his miracles, he still had the mightiest arrow left in his quiver. It was being lifted up from the earth. The lifting up was Calvary, but the attracting of all men to himself looked to the resurrection and the ascension, for certainly a dead Savior could draw no one. The cross which lifted him above the earth, and the ascension which lifted him to heaven, would free him from all earthly, carnal, and national ties, and enable him to exercise universal sovereignty over man. Once crucified, he promised to become a magnet of attraction, drawing all nations and tongues and peoples to himself. Never did he say that his moral precepts would draw all men to himself. Rather, it would be by being violently lifted up from the earth, as if the earth he made and those who were on it would have no part with him. Since the same word, lifted up, is used for his ascension, he implied that, once exalted to heaven, it would be not only Jew, but Gentile, or all men, that he would draw to himself. The attraction of the cross would not be its ignominy, which alone is seen on Good Friday, but its love and victory, which are seen on Easter in the ascension. Some religions draw by force of arms. He would draw by force of love. The attraction would not be his words, but himself. It was his person around which his teaching centered, not his teaching around which he would be remembered. Greater love than this no man hath. That was the secret of his magnetism. As Blake put it, Wouldst thou love one who did not die for thee? And wouldst thou die for one who did not die for thee? If he had come for some other purpose than redemption from sin, it would not be the crucifix, but a picture of Christ on the mount as the teacher that would be held in honor. If the cross was not eventually to be a glory and a triumph, men would have drawn a veil over that ignominious hour to which he was pointing. If he had died in a bed, he might have been honored, but never as a savior. The cross alone could show that God is all holy, and therefore hates sin. 
The cross also showed that God is all love and therefore dies for sinners as if he were guilty. At this point, the crowd asked him a queer question. We have been told out of the law that Christ is to remain undisturbed forever. What dost thou mean by saying that the Son of Man must be lifted up? What Son of Man is this? John 12:34. It was strange that they who were acquainted with the Old Testament should have been scandalized by the fact that their Messiah must die, for certainly they had read that in Isaiah. They had also read in Daniel that the Son of Man was to be violently cut off. Their objection was that Christ, when he came, would be one who would endure eternally. How therefore could he die? It was very clear to them that being lifted up meant dying on the cross. It was also clear that he claimed to be the Christ or the Messiah. But that on which they stumbled was his death. They could not reconcile a glorious Messiah with a suffering one, as Peter could not reconcile a divine Christ with a crucified Christ. They were right in saying that the Messiah would be eternal, for Gabriel announced to the Blessed Mother that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever. But on the other hand, throughout the Old Testament ran the idea that he was to be a sacrifice for sin and a lamb led to the slaughter. Our Lord met their taunt by drawing aside the veil of his divinity and reminding them to avail themselves of his ransom. Some teachers might kindle lights in souls, others might be flickering candles, but everyone has caught illumination from him as he called himself again the light of the world. This light would not be among them much longer. There is only one sun to light a world. If they put out the unique light of the world, then darkness would overwhelm them. Spiritual blindness is worse than physical blindness. As the light of reason is the perfection of the light of the senses, so he called himself the light by which reason itself is illumined and perfected. Those who would walk in faith with him, he called children of light. The light is among you still, but only for a short time. Finish your journey while you still have the light, for fear darkness should overtake you. He who journeys in darkness cannot tell which way he is going. While you still have the light, have faith in the light, that so you may become children of the light. John 12:35. The reason our Lord did not spend more time in correcting their stumbling at his sacrifice was because they had already stumbled at the prophecies of the Old Testament, at his miracles, and their obedience to his word. For the moment he took their eyes off Calvary and bade them look into their own consciences. With pity and tenderness he invited them to avail themselves of his light while he walked among them. This was his last and farewell utterance to the public, namely, the warning about going into darkness and the invitation to accept not a truth but the truth. So much Jesus told them and then went away and was lost to their view. John 12:36 On that Tuesday evening of Holy Week he left the temple. The following day all the people waited for him at early morning in the temple. Luke 21:38 But he did not appear. The sun was going into eclipse. It was as night. The hour was nigh.